Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Episode 5 of Atomic Dreamland. In 1969, Prime Minister John Gorton stunned the international community when he announced that Australia would not sign a proposed nuclear non-proliferation treaty, which required nations to renounce the nuclear weapons option for all time. Soon after, his government approved Australia's first full-scale nuclear power station. It was to be constructed on Commonwealth land at Jervis Bay, 200 kilometres south of Sydney. This was Baxter's great dream. Historian of science, Anne Moyle. Whether Australia needed it, of course, is a a moot point, and it's been proved that it hardly did. The decision came under little scrutiny, even though Australia's coal reserves were at an all-time high. And with coal power far cheaper than atomic energy, the reactor made little economic sense. Whereas many cabinet submissions could come in at 20, 40 or even 60 pages of argument, this submission came in and it wasn't really an argument, it was a bold statement which basically said Australia needs to have a nuclear power station at Jarvis Bay. Andrew Ross was a cabinet secretary in the Gorton government. There was no examination of the use of this for civil energy production. That was completely missing. Following the announcement, the Atomic Energy Commission and the government threw a blanket of secrecy around the Jervis Bay project. And the Commonwealth Police began screening everyone entering the Commission's headquarters at Coogee in Sydney. It was never openly discussed and this caused the Labour opposition to become increasingly worried about it and to begin to ask questions in Parliament and express concerns, but these questions were never answered. It was one of the times in policy making when the secrecy was uh, rampant. Earth movers would soon be excavating a plot of land on the pristine shore of Jervis Bay. Even though the Atomic Energy Commission hadn't settled on a reactor design, a supplier, a country of origin or its cost. And it left me with the idea at the time that what on earth would you want a nuclear power station in Jarvis Bay of all places, which is a long way away from any population centre. And the only conclusion I could come to was that you wanted it for nuclear material, possibly for nuclear weapons. Back in March 1968, 
while part-time chairman of the Atomic Energy Commission, Philip Baxter had urged Australia to acquire the most sophisticated and effective weapons man could devise. Now as the Commission's full-time chairman, the media questioned Baxter whether he could disassociate those comments from the government's decision to go ahead and build nuclear power stations, which would produce plutonium that could be used in the manufacture of bombs. Well, the decision to build a power station, of course, is a decision of the Australian government. And actually, what I was thinking of at that time was bacteriological and chemical warfare, uh, both of which I regard as being well within Australian capability, and things which, if I were in charge of defence, which uh, I would say, thank God I'm not, uh, I would be looking at very hard. Prime Minister Gorton was a former Air Force pilot who supported the idea of Australia acquiring the bomb for self-defence. But publicly, he denied the reactor had anything to do with atomic weapons. His Foreign Minister, William McMahon, suspected the reactor was indeed cover for an atomic bomb program. McMahon became infuriated when Gorton entertained a proposal to use so-called peaceful nuclear explosives to create a harbour on the northwest coast of Western Australia. And another bizarre proposal by miner Lang Hancock to extract iron ore using a hydrogen bomb. Discord within the government increased when McMahon openly clashed with Gorton over his decision not to sign the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty which aimed to limit the spread of atomic weapons. But in early 1970, under pressure from the United States, Gorton grudgingly signed the NPT, but indicated that Australia would not be bound by the treaty until it was backed by every other nation. Two months later, Gorton was forced from the Prime Ministership and replaced by his anti-nuclear nemesis, William McMahon. Five months later, McMahon suspended the Jervis Bay project for a year and then cancelled it completely, citing economic reasons. But three years later, in a letter to a newspaper, McMahon revealed that he scrapped the reactor not merely due to questions of its economic viability. He was also concerned that it violated Australia's obligations under the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. So of course this is a rather curious statement because the essence of the NPT is that you can build a civilian reactor. In fact, that's what you're getting in return for having given up the military option. And so that's led some to speculate that the real meaning of that statement was that the Jervis Bay reactor was intended to produce material for nuclear weapons. Sir Philip Baxter's advocacy for a nuclear-armed Australia was backed by others within the Gorton Ministry, including Bill Wentworth. I think Baxter was quite right in his analysis of the situation. He thought that we should have a civil nuclear plant in Australia, but he also thought that it was able to shorten very materially the time necessary to make nuclear weapons. He was furious. As someone said, he fought like a tiger for Jervis Bay. Historian of Australian science, Anne Moyle. He did everything he could 
to persuade, but because he'd lost the inner ear of a prime minister, he wasn't in such a formidable position. His view was then and always that the expert must, in the end, be trusted. He said this is not a matter for the ballot box or for public participation or even public discussion. Most people know nothing about the technology, therefore the expert must be trusted. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Following Baxter's retirement from the Atomic Energy Commission in 1972, he finally revealed publicly what was behind his push for the bomb. He warned that the Australian way of life would not survive without fortressing the nation with weapons of mass destruction. The world is set on a major collision course with disaster, and that it's going to strike probably around the end of the century or just after. We may very well see if it goes through nuclear war in the Northern Hemisphere, which is likely, that hemisphere made virtually uninhabitable for some time. While a lot of people say, well, you know, this is the end of the world, I don't believe this is so. And I think that Australia will have a better chance than most other places of coming through successfully. But we will, in such a situation, clearly, be like the one lifeboat from the big liner that has sunk and it's full and all around in the water are many many people trying to clamber on board and if you let them you you all sink you've got to just batter them off keep them away and look after your own survival the only way in which we can protect ourselves i believe is by having not machine guns and rifles but the most sophisticated scientific weapons that we can devise and i put nuclear weapons in that too and anything else which will enable one man to hold off a hundred. We could undoubtedly arm ourselves with atom bombs, twice the size of, say, the Hiroshima one, without too much difficulty if we were to devote the effort and the money to doing it. It would take some years to do, but I would have complete confidence in our ability to do it if that were in fact the government's policy. In the end, few Australians shared Sir Philip Baxter's vision of Armageddon, or his dream of a homegrown nuclear arsenal. In 1973, Labor Prime Minister Gough Whitlam ratified the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. By the 1980s, Australia was a leader in the cause of global nuclear disarmament. Today, 
Australia's part in the nuclear fuel cycle is limited to the sale of uranium and a small reactor at Lucas Heights in Sydney, which carries out research and supplies nuclear products used in medicine and industry. Recently, in response to the issue of global warming, there have been calls for nuclear power to replace Australia's coal-burning power stations. Yet in the last 25 years, nuclear power's contribution to the global electricity supply has almost halved, and renewables are now supplying three times more power than nuclear facilities. In response to the Three Mile Island and Chernobyl meltdowns, and the more recent Fukushima disaster, Belgium, Italy and Switzerland have vowed to become nuclear-free. Germany has phased out all of its reactors and is now grappling with where to safely store its nuclear waste for several million years. In 2022, the Australian government announced the AUKUS Pact, a trilateral security agreement with the United States and the United Kingdom. Under AUKUS, America and Britain will assist Australia to acquire a fleet of nuclear-powered submarines. As part of the deal, Australia will be responsible for the disposal of the vessel's high-level nuclear waste. After seven decades, we are yet to find an acceptable repository away from populated areas. If history is anything to go by, states and communities will bristle at the suggestion that they host a high-level nuclear waste facility. And as far as nuclear weapons are concerned, Australia remains a signatory to the Non-Proliferation Treaty. But could there be circumstances in which Australia might change its stance? The whole assumption in staying your hand in the production of these weapons, given the international climate, is that the Americans will indeed uh, use their nuclear umbrella on your behalf. Now, we've yet to see that tested. The Australian calculation would be, in my estimation, that we want to have the capacity to develop our own bomb quickly in the event that the Americans are not forthcoming. Having the option for a delivery system and ultimately the production of the weapon to go on such a system in the future. I don't think that anywhere in the defence community now there's any hankering after uh, the nuclear option. But I think the one trigger which would cause Australia to go nuclear would be any indication that Indonesia was going nuclear, but also any indication that uh, we were facing a real serious confrontation with Indonesia. Throughout this podcast series, we've explored Australia's flirtation with the atom. It's been a fraught relationship. From nuclear testing, atomic rain, the theft of human remains, and secretive plans to arm the nation with nuclear weapons. Of course, this isn't the complete picture. In the mid-1980s, the McClellan Royal Commission dealt with the ongoing health impacts on servicemen and Aboriginal communities as a result of the British atomic tests. And the Hope Royal Commission into Australia's security agencies uncovered hundreds of dossiers on civilians, scientists and politicians who spoke out about nuclear proliferation. If Australia had developed nuclear weapons or procured nuclear weapons from the British, this certainly would have given bomb advocates in Indonesia and in Japan a leg up in their fights to preserve nuclear options in those countries. 
It would have weakened confidence in a treaty system whose intention was to restrain the spread of nuclear weapons. But arguably, the most important consequences would have been for Australia itself. When you build nuclear weapons, you get a big secret apparatus. An apparatus that's difficult for civilians to understand, for civilians to control, and an apparatus that puts an entire nation at risk. I think it's those sorts of costs, the democratic costs, that might have been very real for Australians. It's impossible to return the atomic genie back into its bottle. But for the sake of future generations, the only option is to continue to push for a total ban of nuclear weapons, using all the diplomatic skills at our disposal. Atomic Dreamland was produced by Blackwattle Films with the generous support of the National Film and Sound Archive of Australia. Many thanks to Calvin Gardner, Sarah Staveley and the interviewees for sharing their experiences and brilliant insights. To check out our other podcast series, Books and Films, visit blackbottlefilms.com.au. Thanks for listening. Dream a little dream.